0: Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, how are we all? Today I have the privilege of speaking with Lady Sarah Hoy, mother of two and wife to the one and only Sir Chris Hoy, Britain's most successful Olympian. Their first child, Callum, was born by emergency caesarean at 29 weeks after Sarah developed severe preeclampsia and HELP syndrome. Sarah is now an ambassador for Bliss Charity and with a healthy and happy six-year-old. So stay tuned as she talks us through Callum's special journey into the world. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi Zoe I'm good thank you how are you? Yep I'm brilliant thank you thank you very very much for joining me today I'm really really privileged to have you on. My
1: pleasure thank you so much for inviting me. Thank
0: you so we um, start the podcast with the same classical question except this time I'm getting to hear how um, how you met one of the UK's best Olympians which um, is your husband Chris Hoy.
1: Yeah that's that's right Um
0: well, it's do you know it's such a simple
1: story. We met um in the pub, um, <laughs> two lots, yeah. Um, I we were all out with um different lots of friends, and they, um, two of them happened to know each other and got this um, uh, got this group kind of connected in the pub. Um, but it, basically, Chris and I, um, we're both from Edinburgh, but Chris had been living in Manchester, um, for quite a long time before we we met, um, and um. You know, I, I knew nothing of, of him other than I'd I'd seen him um, race at the Olympics in Athens and win his first gold medal, but um, having no idea that one day I would meet him and marry him. Oh and, wow, um,
0: oh, that's so, really um,
1: cool. <laughs> yeah, so years later, um, here I was in the pub and I looked over and then um, I saw the most handsome man I'd ever ever seen <laughs> across the room, and then um, did you realise who it was? Sons, no, no, no I was just no, he was because, just a hunky course, guy. Yeah, he, he had a helmet on when he was racing in yeah, So I I I actually thought Chris Hoy was a British Chinese man, because um, of the name Hoy. So I thought no, nothing of it. Saw this um, man across the room, and then one of my friends said, "Oh, that's that. Um, oh, that's that Olympian, Chris Hoy." And I sort of thought, "Oh, typical." I managed to you know see and put my get my eyes set on the man across the room who's the Olympian who you know I'm not from a sporting background, and. Um, we didn't you know have any chance at all anyway we got introduced to each other and uh, we we just didn't stop talking and we've been in you know contact ever since so he lived in manchester so we started a long distance relationship um with me thinking this is ridiculous what on earth would he ever see in me um and then here we are i think i don't know 15 16 years later really wow how long did you do long distance for Oh, good question. I moved, so I was um, a lawyer and I was uh, Scottish qualified, so I was working in Edinburgh and so in order to move down to Manchester I had to re-qualify and become English qualified. So once I've done that...
0: it was different.
1: Yeah, yeah different uh, legal systems. So um, once I would become dual qualified, which it wasn't a, a massive thing to do, but um, it was it was a good thing for my career which actually I probably wouldn't have done but for meeting him, and then I moved to Manchester, maybe two thousand and nine. Um, so we've been here since because he was here for the velodrome. Yeah. So then, since then, obviously, um, going through um, two more Olympic cycles, and then his his retirement after that. So um, yeah, it's been it, it's been a it's been a total whirlwind and I thought uh, you were gonna say it's been a ride <laughs> yeah yeah no, it's, it's not not ended yet but it's, it has it's just been it's been fast and furious and just the most do you know I, I just feel privileged to have kind of um held on to his coattails and watched oh, everything no. unfold in his career because it's been it's been totally remarkable and we've had um yeah a lot of, a lot of fun doing it and now obviously, another chapter of. Uh, um children in different jobs and things like that
0: amazing and i'm not going to talk about chris much but what's it like watching him compete in the olympics um just
1: just amazing um and it's something that i again i just feel so privileged and it it was so difficult watching him prepare and get ready for each of those games and it's so hard to describe um, just the pressure um, particularly you know after beijing Um, He came away with three golds, which took his total to four golds, Um, and then the pressure that then that puts on for home games in London in 2012, Um, and knowing that it's all he wanted, and he was so desperate to do it, and it was everything. And the the training is so hard, you know. He he would um, literally be on his knees. You you know, you're being sick. You're you're just pushing your body to the limits, and and just sort of trying to support him in that. but it became something that I really wanted, not not for any of the results, but because I knew how much he wanted it. Yeah. So it was just it was it was brilliant to be able to support him in that. So when it came to the race days, um I could I just couldn't could barely watch. I was an absolute mess because of the pressure um of knowing what the pressure that he was under. But you know, on race days, he's amazing. You just wouldn't even I can't compute that's the same man <laughs> that I live with and that I love because he gets up, it's like watching this sort of great white shark circling the water <laughs> you know he gets up and he, he's like Roar! you know so focused and can pull it out the bag and then he gets off the bike and he's just this big friendly teddy bear but his racing his racing instinct is like nothing you've ever seen but as soon as he's off the bike he's just a uh, you know this laughable jovial you know um man i mean he would kill me if i if he thought i'd called him a teddy bear i mean he's a lion
0: <laughs> he's a lion <laughs> did he when he when he is in that sort of race mode do you stay out of his way
1: and um, do you know you don't see them so oh, okay. they go to um for the olympics they're in the village and um it's very much i mean i think for london i waved them off i can't remember the dates now but possibly three three or four weeks before the race and they go to a training camp and then into the village um so obviously we're speaking of every day yeah. um but uh, you know, not not seeing him, and then I think probably on the, I'd speak to him maybe the day before a race, and uh, maybe text him on the on the day. But no, that at, by that point he 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 does sort of retreat yeah. more into himself as as he gets more and more focused. Um, and then and then afterwards, it's just kind of trying to put everything back together. See what I mean? Because it's yeah. just sort of like, right, what just happened? What what did we just see? Um, so, you know, after, after the Olympics, it's obviously such a huge event, it's just um, it, it just literally sort of sitting there and both of us looking at each other thinking, uh, we're not quite sure what we've just experienced, but let's try and, um, let, let's try and piece it back together and, uh, and see what happens next. So it was the most amazing experience. So I, I really do feel so lucky that I was able to, to witness it all and be part of it with him, really.
0: Amazing. So Sarah, I've got you on today um, to talk about your son Callum. Um, so are you happy to sort of start telling us about um, the pregnancy with Callum?
1: Yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah, Callum is my uh, first uh, little boy and uh, so I fell pregnant um, and, you know, I and had some issues that we'll obviously go on to talk about, but I do think it's important to talk about it and raise awareness um, I had preeclampsia and helps and syndrome um but I'm also so wary of causing concern and fear in other mums and um, you know I just think it's careful to to strike a balance because mm-hmm. um you know help occurs in. I think I've looked up a stat: 0.7 percent of pregnancies so I mm-hmm. think that's probably safe to say it's quite rare what yeah, happened it is um but I, I think you know it's 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 also important that that, that women do know that this is a, a risk factor and just to be just to be aware, be be aware, be alert. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I fell pregnant and um my I was premature um and my mum had suffered preeclampsia with both my sister and myself. Oh, really? so uh, um yeah so when I did fall pregnant it was an issue I raised with the doctor and I was um, put back in my box very quickly and told that's your mum's history it's not yours Um, you know and, and that age-old age-old adage of pregnancy is not an illness so I, I sort of nodded and said yes of course I'm going to be fine um, and but really felt I had addressed that issue and you know it wasn't going to be an issue um, so I was pregnant and it was all it was all going fine attending all my appointments and um, but probably in hindsight i I don't think I was having a fabulous time. I didn't sort of feel um, blooming in any sense. Mm. And uh, so um, I can't remember when it was, maybe about week 26, I began to feel um, unwell, but it was it was very slow moving. So it wasn't something because I hadn't felt particularly brilliant throughout it. It wasn't that it's, it became something that I was suddenly aware of. Um, and I remember speaking to my dad um, just before it really all kicked off and saying, um it feels like I've, I'm having a heart attack and I was sort of being a little bit flippant really. Um but that kind of comes to play later on. Um but I, I wasn't feeling um wasn't feeling great. I had this heartburn and obviously I mean people do have heartburn. I had I barely had a bump, so I think I'd bought my first pair of maternity um, trousers but wasn't in them yet. Um That's good going at twenty-six um, weeks. <laughs> Yeah, really small bump that everybody was commenting on and things. Um, So at the the same time with this heartburn, I was thinking, I don't really really understand why I've got heartburn because I don't really know what's squashing what because it's not like I've got much um, going on here. Um, And uh, we were coming up to... um, I'd I'd been unwell and had to cancel some events, I think. And then we came up to the Pride of Britain um, Awards, which I managed to kind of get myself together for feel a bit better and go to and that you know just always sticks in my mind because there there were some official photos taken and looking back you can see that my face is is like a moon face and really puffy
0: yeah um
1: but at the time not noticeable at all and it's really Um, hard
0: because if, if you say like your symptoms came on really slowly then um then it can be really hard to see And it's almost like somebody who knows you well but hasn't seen you in a long time to see you and go, hold on, you you don't look Uh, right because almost like the people you live with sometimes can't notice it because obviously they're seeing you day in and day out. Absolutely, and you know
1: my sister doesn't um, doesn't live near me, um, but even she, well, I don't think she would necessarily have seen a picture of me. But in hindsight, she said, oh, it was so obvious. And um, and of course, people are reluctant. You never really comment on a pregnant no. woman and say, "Oh, your face is looking big." You know, so um, all of these things, you know, gathered in hindsight because I had a really quite rare presentation of everything. So at that Pride of Britain, I remember, um, you know, chatting to um, a few people and chatting to uh, Jason Manford and um, Paddy McGuinness about children. They just had twins, and we were talk- talking to them because I was pregnant and all the time thinking my, this brass strap is far too small for me and is digging into my chest and was sort of stopping me taking a full breath um and that was really it but within 24 hours of that um I had then been unable to control this heartburn and taken medication for it and again just in hindsight nothing was feeling right mm-hmm. but I didn't know that yeah. I just didn't know I was feeling off um and I'd also gained a lot of weight very suddenly um so I'd mentioned that to my midwife and she said that's normal that's normal but in hindsight again if I'd said to her the numbers and said I've gained I think it was I think it was two kilograms in a week right. she would have probably gone yeah that, that's not quite right yeah. but again all these little things that you didn't know at the time um so I called 111 to ask what to do about this um heartburn that I couldn't get rid of and it was the middle of the night I'd sent Chris to sleep in the other bedroom saying, look, I'm going to be pacing all night because I can't get rid of this heartburn. Sleep in the other room. It's fine. So then, um, unbeknown to him, I phoned 111 and said, I'm just asking, what else can I take for this heartburn? They asked a few questions and they said, we're sending an ambulance. And I was absolutely aghast. and so British. Oh, oh no, please, please, <laughs> no, I'm fine. Don't, Don't waste the NHS money. No, 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 no. no. And they were very, very firm and um, almost quite severe with me, saying, "We're sending an ambulance," which arrived within about four minutes. Wow! And by which point, I'd I'd managed to go to wake Chris up and said, "Um, "An ambulance is (laughs) coming." This is an awkward conversation. Jumped out of bed and was like, "What have you done?" You know, because we genuinely, um, you know, didn't sort of anticipate this coming. so I was taken into hospital by which and um, they'd given me an, a, another antacid and the heartburn had gone so I was cringing myself inside out that I had had I'd been blue-lighted to hospital for heartburn oh. and I was so embarrassed um and so I was busy sort of trying to apologize putting my shoes back on when they came and said we've got your blood results and um and and I said oh I'm so much better thank you so much I'm so, I'm so sorry and they said um well it looks like you've um, you've had a heart attack um, and I was like oh I mean this is terrible because you've confused the blood results with somebody else <laughs> I look at me and um, you know I it was it just didn't it just didn't register with me at all so um, they said right we've got to you know go and see these other other people and um, you won't be going anywhere today and so um, again I just just couldn't really no. equate that with what i was going through at yeah. all um. so i ended up in a cardiac ward i was given a huge amount of procedures um, and they came through and at one point said um you know that this could be help syndrome which um is a, a very severe form of preeclampsia and during all this as you said my my blood pressure was um was within in the normal range but importantly uh-huh. It wasn't within the normal range for me. Yeah. But nobody, there's no history of what my normal range was because it had only been, you know, taken from the time that I'd been unwell. So nobody was really putting that all together. But in you know, retrospectively, yeah. they were able to, we were able to say I keep a very low blood pressure, so it wasn't registering
2: uh-huh. um,
1: in terms of what they were seeing. Um so they said it could be help syndrome where you know it's it's potentially fatal and the only cure is to deliver the baby. And I kind of roared with laughter and said, well, it's obviously not that. And they said, well, one of the symptoms is actually that the mother can present very well and look well. And that's one of the key symptoms, which is unbelievable, really. Um, so this this kind of continued on of not not really knowing um, what was happening until um, eventually. um, I think a couple of days later, they finally got round to um, doing a, a scan, and in amongst that time, you know, I I did feel very awkward that I was in hospital. Um, I think the choice of the words from the medics can be really um, sometimes um, thoughtless through no, no fault of their own. But I remember being scanned at one point; and they were scanning my livers and my kidneys,
2: mm.
1: and uh, and the uh, person who did it said, "Oh." Well, when I had heartburn, I just walked off going round the um, going round the Trafford Centre. I didn't call an ambulance. Oh, that's helpful. So I felt like I was, yeah, and I felt like I was really. I, I just kept thinking, I'm, I'm really so embarrassed, and oh. I, I felt okay, and I just wanted to wanted to go home. Um, and didn't really uh, at no point did um, anybody sort of begin to counsel me what it was looking like but yeah. they didn't it was because they didn't know yeah and they were very they were you know they were they were interested that I was um you know obviously with Chris doing the job he did and I was um came in sort of looking like a you know I was slim and fit and didn't look as if um it didn't present in the way that often these things can present in mm-hmm. they they thought that maybe I was some form of elite athlete who you know had enlarged my heart through over exercise or something. <laughs> so they were looking at lots of different things without sort of really listening to the fact, oh I'm a I'm a lawyer I sit at a desk. <laughs> you know that uh, there's no
0: danger of that. Um, can i can i just so, um, quickly um sorry just because we we've mentioned a few of like the the classic symptoms of preeclampsia so just for anyone who who doesn't know um so it's um protein in in your urine which obviously you'd only know about if you were if you're in having a clinic appointment or in hospital being tested high blood pressure and you've you've raised a really key point and it's high blood pressure for you um, so if the, the blood pressure is raised for you. So as, um, right. as health professionals, that's why we obviously always want to see women early on in their pregnancies, so we can get that baseline blood pressure. And then that's what we should always be reflecting on whenever we 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 continue to take the blood pressures in the pregnancy. We should always be going back and seeing how it compares to that original blood pressure um and then you've yes. got the the so like you talked about the weight gain so that's that's with the edema with with um the the extra fluid that you're taking on and it's specifically with preeclampsia it can often be around the face as well that's the real key that um and and, and as again as health professionals we should ask family and friends like does she look bigger in the face because we don't obviously know you on a day-to-day basis but it can present yes. in the ankles and in the feet which can be also be a very classic obviously um symptom of pregnancy as well then you've got the epigastric pain so this heartburn that you you really experienced um, and then often there's flashing lights um, sort of visual disturbances or really severe headaches as well so they're your mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. classic pre-eclamptic kind of symptoms um, but then obviously you went on to develop help as well which we'll we'll get into i guess so i'm sorry i just wanted to to cover that the pre-eclampsia side of it before we moved on yeah I think and 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 very,
1: very important to do so and um, and I think it, the difficulty is so much as you've said, can be slightly confused with what normal pregnancy yeah. symptoms are mm. and um and I think it's just it can be really hard to distinguish between all of all of those things you know the swollen ankles and things, but I think it's the combination of them all coming together yes. and as I say for me, in hindsight when i when I reflected on it, to be able to recognize. I really wasn't feeling very well, mm. but it was on in the context of well I'm growing a baby, I'm carrying a baby I've been really busy, mm. so you know that all makes sense I wouldn't feel that well mm. um, so yeah it's just it's just something that to, to be aware of and that you know there's lots of checks to kind of um, to ensure that, but I didn't have any protein in my urine um, displaying in any of this right. um, so again it can be a, it can be a complex. Kind of situation but with um help and i've even written down what help stands for but you can
0: probably get in there before i do um (laughs) Um, so it's hemolysis the the breakdown of the red blood cells cells. and then it's elevated liver enzymes and low platelets so that's what they're yeah so you, you
1: that's right and as as the patient you don't actually need to worry about any of those things it's no. but it's all it all will come through your blood results and yes. that's how that all will will be um found out so eventually um it led to a scan of the baby and and throughout all of this Callum was fine that the pain literally came down to the the top of where I could feel my uterus and then the throughout all of my you know the, the uterus and the baby movements remain absolutely pain-free and perfect Callum was skipping and turning around and made lots of movements throughout so at no point did I feel that this was going to be connected to pregnancy at all um, and I was very reassured by by these um, constant movements um, which in a way kind of got me into trouble in terms of um, expert and what I was able to kind of say back to the the doctors in terms of explaining my symptoms and things. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually I was taking him for a scan and uh, Chris had work on, um, and I think he was hosting people somewhere and I'd said, oh, just go and do that. You you know, you mustn't cancel that. This is just a a reassurance scan. Um, I think in the meantime, I'd had ECGs, I'd had an angiogram to check for damage to the heart after the heart attack and lots of things. So all of the bad bits had gone through the scan. I just said, it's such a shame that you won't be here to see, it's just an additional scan. It's such a shame you won't be there to see the baby again, but otherwise I'll be fine, pick me up afterwards. So I went to the scan alone. And um, the um, the lady who did it um, was was scanning me and she then picked up the phone and called the um, uh, on-call and said, I need to book an emergency C-section for 29 weeks. And I, I sort of said, oh, I put my hand up. Sorry, sorry, being very British. Um, I just wonder because it's just a time to 29 weeks, but you're not talking about me, are you? And she said, this baby's got to, got to come out. So um, Callum wasn't in immediate distress, but the placenta was basically on the very end of failing. So oh, I kind of realised how close I was to um, essentially, you know, calm not surviving. Yeah. Um, because the body and HELP syndrome is basically beginning to shut down, and the the internal organs um start to get into trouble,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the placenta is one of the things that 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 goes. Um, so I then became extremely distraught um at Unde- the idea so. that this was happening, and really try to you know fight this off very much by saying no no no. this is wrong we must give it another chance I've obviously not been well the placenta is obviously just needing a bit of time to recover I mean this is me who had clearly no um no idea of what was going on at all but trying to grasp at straws so eventually um I think I was taken to a room and then a neonatologist came in to talk to me about survival uh, rates of um babies born at that stage
0: is Chris with you yet
1: no, still oh, by myself. And um, and she said, is it okay to talk? You know, she'd asked, are you happy to talk? I know that you're by yourself. And I said, oh, yes, that's fine. Still not really appreciating the gravity. And I thought she was going to come in to, to tell me about me and why the baby was potentially not growing and in trouble. And I didn't really appreciate A neonatologist isn't interested in me. The neonatologist is there because the baby is coming Mm. and the the baby's coming out um and so when she started talking about survival rates i then i didn't take in a word she said and eventually asked her to leave the room which is something that i would never do ever so so i began to realize that i wasn't coping with with everything that was going on then um and then chris then um my sister, I think, had managed to get a hold of him because I'd managed to send a text to my sister saying, "I'm, you know, I'm in deep shit," yeah. um, and I think she'd appreciated um, that I was in in real panic panic station. Um, and so um, then Chris came in, and uh, gosh, it all becomes almost blurry from there. Um, but I think the, the important thing that I take from that is that, as you know, uh, for my first child not knowing anything about pregnancy but having come with a history of feeling like I knew about premature birth Mm. I've been born at 36 weeks my sister been born at 34 we we called ourselves premature babies (laughs) I've never I didn't have any understanding of what prematurity meant and that actually babies as young as 23 weeks gestation are being born and surviving and thriving mm. and obviously not not in every case but they they can and they do and even even younger than that and and i think that's a really important point to just get get across that you know i knew about um a, a abortion limits through having studied it through um through law um and that 23 weeks is age of viability but what i didn't really appreciate was that age of viability means babies are being born at that age mm. and yeah. surviving yeah. so when when they said to me that this um this was um coming i think it's um at the time i thought that um, i was going to give birth to a, a non-formed fetus Um they they were able to say to me oh at 20 weeks it was okay because your scan was okay at 20 weeks so we don't and they said we don't know what's happened between 20 weeks and 29 weeks. And that terrified me, so I assumed that the baby had stopped growing at 20 weeks without oh, wow. actually thinking, "Something's been happening for the last few, yeah. few weeks, but bearing in mind, I hadn't grown a bump. Yeah So all of these things were all being put together to, to lead me to a catastrophic conclusion that there would be no baby being born, really. Um, so it was, I think, just a really important point to, to put out there that um, I think sort of education and just getting there. Um, getting that information across would be Mm -hmm. would be helpful um so then we were um we were put in for emergency uh c-section and uh it there was there was then that was the biggest moment of calm that we'd had in the whole whole time coming up to it so this was immediately um,
0: um
1: it was i think it was a few hours later, so it wasn't. I wasn't rushed in. Yeah. Um, there was enough time to to gather everybody's thoughts, um, together, and uh, and there was time for me to have um, a bath. So that in this room i had been taken to, there was a sort of half size bath, and I remember apologising to my bump, and just saying Aww. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And um, and just just thinking, I d- I don't know what's going to happen, but you know I'm um, sorry that this has happened <laughs> that makes me sad um and uh, yeah it, i think it just takes me to that to that point so i was very i was very very um distraught um, and then we were taken through to the um to the um operating theater and uh, I remember I'd read one chapter of a hypnobirthing book. The first <laughs> chapter, I hadn't got any further. I mean, it was the only preparation I'd done. I'd not been to any antenatal classes, and bought, hadn't bought a thing, at nothing. And um, and in this first chapter, it talked about this breathing. And, um, and I'll, I'll get all the terminology wrong now because literally I did one chapter. But it was sort of thinking about this this balloon rising up. And as they were, you know, injecting me and, and preparing me for it, and I was extremely distressed. I remember putting that into play, this um, this one chapter of the book, and doing the breathing, and actually, um, uh, you know, uh, that that served its purpose really well for me yes. at that point. And um, and I, I also remember, you know, we hadn't made a birth plan. That had just not been anything that we'd got to or considered. That's at all. But we'd always sort of, we'd always sort of said that, um. baby would be born the way it has to be born and um i remember at one point going well actually i haven't made a birth plan but this isn't out of the ordinary this isn't against a birth plan we've said the baby will be born in the safest way this is what we're doing so and we sort of turned to each other and chris and i were like this is our birth plan look at this this is our birth plan and you know it might not be um, what we expected it would be, but this is the birth plan we're writing here and now. Mm. Um, so that was all, it was all—it was very, very—it um, was very calm, um, and I think it was just a, just a, a case of adapting, and that came very, very quickly in that moment. Having been very, very distraught, um, just sort of to consider this is—we we just adapt to the situation, and um, it's about the baby, and this is the best way for the baby um, to be to be born. Um, and I, I remember at the time I had uh, quite a few other friends who were pregnant at the same time. I had one friend from school whose baby was due on the same date as Callum, and then another um another few around me one one girl from work was expecting twins, so I see a high risk pregnancy yeah and she was due any she was due any day so suddenly I was sort of skipping to the end and <laughs> beating her to the finish line and i I remember you know you go through lots of sort of bargaining and as I was trying to um trying to come to terms with with myself with the fact that this baby was coming um imminently I remember sort of praying to God and saying you know okay I'm going to take it but only if you throw it all at me throw everything you've got at me throw all of the throw all of the hard stuff at me because I can take it but don't touch any of my friends
0: like let them have their babies
1: and just you know desperately wanting because having been through just even that week in the run up to it, just thinking, I can't have anybody else go through this. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just too horrible. Mm-hmm. And in amongst it all, really, really close to my mum. And I would, you know, would normally, you know, speak to her all the time. And again, interestingly, in hindsight, I didn't um, speak to her at all. And I refused to speak to her. I had no conversation with her at all in hospital. And by that point, when they knew that I would sort of become, iller in the few days before the mom and dad had come down but obviously I was none the wiser I was in hospital and uh, they were saying about well we'll come in and visit you and I absolutely refused wouldn't have we didn't see anybody wouldn't see them at all and great. I think it's that you know if, when you're a kid and you fall over and your mom says are you okay that's the moment you cry yeah <laughs> it was that moment and I thought if, if I see her I won't be able to bring myself back from that and at the moment I'm going to be fine you know big girl pants on and you do it um so yeah, so the the C section itself was incredibly calm and controlled because they'd had it was sort of an, an hour's notice and that for an emergency C section is, you know, they were like, oh, this is nothing. It's very you know, we've had a warning, it's not a problem. And it was all very um very smooth. And um I think the, the biggest thing for me was this overwhelming need to run. Um And I find that really challenging and, you know, having had no maternal instincts really during the pregnancy. And certainly once Callum was born, I find it very, very difficult to connect with an idea that I was a mum. This overwhelming instinct to get up and run to protect my baby. So getting into this this surgery in the operating room was a huge challenge and just putting one foot in front of the other to get in. And... um, and then sitting on the bed and thinking, there's nothing to stop me running out of here. Just leave, 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 um, and having to sort of fight, fight that incredible urge not yeah. to, um, not to get, um, not not to run away. Um, yeah, so that that takes us up to the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I suppose for people who don't know if you're having a premature. Um, uh, birth or a baby who's going to be admitted to neonatal because obviously there are full-term babies who go to neonatal and that might become obvious during during labour or before mm-hmm. um, but there were lots and lots of people in the room yeah. um, so uh, there's a lot more individuals so um, Callum was born and I didn't know if he was a boy or a girl actually so um, it was always going to be a surprise so they had managed to, we'd managed to communicate that to everybody and they said, we'll we'll keep it quiet. So um, they uh, took Chris over, he cut the cord um, and he was able to then tell me because I'd always wanted Chris to tell me yeah. and he was able to do that. And I think little touches like that in the moment of yeah. an emergency situation I was very grateful that we did get lots of little bits that we can um, hold on to. And, mm-hmm. and certainly the, the the birth was a very precious moment but I didn't see Callum um, I didn't hear him he didn't make a sound Um he was ventilated and then taken away pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, and then I was um, I was looked after and then um, about, I think it was it was just over 24 hours later that I was well enough once I was stabilized um to go up to to meet him but was, was Chris able morning, to see him He was, so Chris went straight up with him, I think. And um, so Chris was, by the time I got to meet him, Chris was very sort of au fait with the surroundings Mm. and he'd become very kind of already adapted and found it familiar. Whereas for me, it was very, it was, it was a huge shock really. Um, But Chris had tried to FaceTime me, but, you know, back six and a half years ago, (laughs) um, you know, there, there was no reception in the hospital, there was no Wi-Fi, it hadn't worked. So they'd taken a picture of Callum and brought this picture to me, and um, it was quite honestly the most terrifying picture you've ever seen. Um, he looked like he was in a lot of pain, and he looked not really like a baby. And that that was really um, it. Really difficult to um, look at that and think that's my child. Yeah, and uh, it was just a very very kind of difficult situation. So. Um, yeah eventually 24 hours later i was wheeled into this um this neonatal um, intensive care and there's obviously lots of incubators and uh, lots of noise it's it's very hot and um, stiflingly overwhelmingly hot and um, with the noise of the machines beeping but everything is, else is very hushed but the machines are so loud and noisy mm. um and there's obviously equipment everywhere and i, I do remember thinking how how do you know that you're pointing me to the right baby? I mean, I don't know, but how do you are they are they sure they've got the right one? Um, so there's lots of things going around in your mind. Um, and actually Calum is a lot bigger than I than I thought, given that I had thought I was going to be delivering a 20-week 20 20 week, baby. Yeah. Um he was a lot bigger than I thought. So he was two pounds, two ounces. Um, and he was quite long, and um, and I remember thinking, I can't believe that was inside me with no bump. <laughs> I mean, um, so, um, again, just one of those things where you can, you can still marvel at what's happened and what your body has managed managed to achieve. You know, it was that in itself was quite um, quite remarkable.
0: What was it like when you saw him for the first time?
1: Um, just. It was just quite difficult to um, reconcile um, what you were seeing with um, it being your baby and with any kind of um, real maternal instinct. I've spoken to a lot of mums since, and a lot of them have a, you know, I think full term or premature, however your baby's born, a lot of mums will experience a huge rush of love and and feel that straight away. Um, For me, I think I was far too um, deep in shock to really understand and I still wasn't feeling very well yeah. um, so actually I'm um, still I think recovering from from what had happened um, so it was it was difficult and hard and hard to know what to, what to even do are you allowed to touch the incubator are you allowed to you know touch him and you know the, a nurse was obviously there to, to see us see us through it um, but it was it was challenging and I think people don't I think people find it difficult to talk about that and uh, to really kind of admit just how difficult that can be. Um, and it's certainly something I, I don't often talk about because you're also worried about your your child growing up and then hearing what you've said and thinking, is that about me? And of course, it's not about the baby. It's about you as a person trying to adapt and um, understand the emotions that you're going through. Um, so it was... It was um, it was challenging, but also I felt relieved that I was no longer in charge of this baby, yeah. and I felt relief that you know the uh, the adults had entered the room and <laughs> now in charge. <laughs> there was there was a professional who was going to look after us, um, which was um which was good. But obviously, I, uh, the fear the fear of then your your child being okay was just was just huge and really quite overwhelming, mm-hmm. and then. Um, you know the, the idea that you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know if he will be okay. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, you know, we're taking at the moment we're taking it hour by hour, and um, and they're, they're they're giving you a lot of information to begin to start understanding and um, uh, beginning to um, be able to um, appreciate what's going on and what are all the wires doing and uh, just how gravely ill he is or not you know it took me a long time to kind of try to understand and it's difficult to ask is he is he dying right now or is he is he going to be okay and of course nobody can tell you they're going to be okay but um it just yeah little little um little steps like that to try to um begin to learn your way as a neonatal mum Yeah, Um, but you do you learn very quickly and become very experienced in all of that and actually before you know it you you can read the monitors very well and it's very familiar and um and you can you can you know care for your baby
0: in that way so it does um it it does become familiar very quickly was there a point um that you remember that where you felt like he turned a corner or you were told that that, you know, now things are looking more positive or we can sort of look to the future a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, about ten, 10 days in, Chris was, um, was taken up uh, motor racing at a time and was training to do the uh, 24 hours of Le Mans race.
2: Oh, really? And obviously
1: that was, you know, uh, you know um, highly technical and requiring a lot of skill and a lot of practice. So he had something coming up in Portugal um, and I was very keen for him to do that because at that point we didn't know how long Cam would be in hospital, and I was sort of saying we've got to just carry on and, and and have our lives going because we don't know what is around the corner. And you know, actually, you have to go and get this practice in in these race cars because otherwise you might, you know, you you can't ever be racing a car at 200 miles an hour without the right amount of practice. Yeah. So I said, I think I think we should you should go. But we spoke to the the doctor about it first and at that point he said oh we're on um um you know we're on 24 hour watch um, 24 hour notice basically so nothing nothing that would happen that we wouldn't know about with 24 hours notice okay so at that point we thought well he can go and we know that if anything if he can takes a turn for the worst chris can be home within you know 8 hours so we thought he would be home before anything um, bad happened mm-hmm. and then I think that that was the moment where I thought okay that's better and then um, I remember at, at one point I think trying to ask the doctor the question is, is he going to be okay and by that I just simply meant is he going to die and um, and he said oh he's, he's, he's doing so much better than we could ever have thought um, that he would have done you know they didn't know what condition he was going to come out in and they said, Oh, we're doing so, he's doing so much better. He's a real fighter. He's, he's doing really well. And that was a moment where I thought, Oh, oh, that's, that sounds positive. Mm. I still couldn't, I still couldn't ever take that to be optimistic. I was still, I'd been given, I think, such a fright yeah. that it would take me a long time to ever kind of feel positive. I but think I took that as that that's was the most of, positive kind of, that I
0: got for a while yeah that's sort of a bit of self-preservation isn't it that I, I won't get too excited um but I'll I'll take yeah. some of that on board but I won't be you know
1: yeah and I think that's an interesting thing about bonding as well you know I'd be so keen to talk to other mums about that about you know the bonding is very difficult yeah but with that self-preservation and yeah. with that fear that actually it, your baby's not going to um stay around for very long. is is it does that make it easier or harder to bond? And I think it depends what who you are, what the mm-hmm. circumstances are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I found that I was detaching myself more and more because of the fear and the fright that I was in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and that that was difficult because I kind of I saw that in myself, but I had no way of rectifying it. I was just sort of watching from afar, really. Um it's so amazing that a, you
0: a, kind of recognize that in yourself as well. So Wait, were, yeah, you, I, were you given anyone to speak to, um sort of anyone to su- support you through any of the sort of emotional journey of being a NICU mum.
1: No, and I, I think the emotional journey is so so important. Um there was nobody um there in our unit at that time. Um and I think to be honest, if somebody had tried to talk to me, I would have been that very British just like I had been when I'd been unwell and said, oh, but I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, I could I could walk the walk and I could talk the talk. I wasn't for really opening up. and didn't understand that it would have been helpful if I had. Yeah. So I think that's, again, something really, an important message to get across to other mums because if there's one thing I've learned in this life, I am not so unique that I'm the only person to yeah. feel that way. And if I feel something, then... I know other people will do too not everybody but I'm I'm not so strange or unusual um, yeah. and I think that you know it's standard standard for that and and actually since then I I'm a, a ambassador for bliss um, which mm-hmm. is the baby charity for um the UK for neonatals so they support families um who have a, either a premature or a sick baby in neonatal and a lot of the support they do is on the units providing emotional support um with other ambassadors who basically buddy up with with the parents and allow them to talk through those things mm. and um, that wasn't in the unit i was at at that time but um that's one of the reasons why i became so fascinated with with this aspect of it Um i look back and wonder if it had been would i have said yes I don't know, mm. but I think if we can get the message out that actually, please say yes, even if you think you can do it alone, you really, you really probably can, and you don't have to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and walking that walk with somebody else, there's nothing more um, reassuring than to know you're not the only one to have these thoughts. And yeah. you know, since since this has happened, um I've spoken to so many, so many other parents and everybody's story is different and I, in no way do I think mine is novel or or unique and in fact um, you know uh, we've come out of it understanding we've had a pretty run-of-the-mill experience like many others do with an excellent outcome for which we're so grateful and other families see you know the, the absolute devastating impact of neonatal mm. but what's what's really comes to the fore is how many of the how many parts of it are really uniting so no matter what your experience there are um there are aspects that will will unite everybody and that everybody can rec- recognize and uh, i think it's really important to talk about those things because it makes you feel less alone it's, it makes you feel less isolated mm-hmm. and it also makes you realize you're quite normal Mm -hmm. And it's quite normal to feel all of these completely abnormal emotions through this time. You know, one of the overriding feelings I had at the time was of grief. And um, and it was, I understood pretty quickly, it was grief at the loss of this pregnancy. But the baby was fine. So I'm not trying to suggest I'd had a loss in that sense. And I remember somebody saying to me you can't use the word grief you've not you've not lost anything and you'll upset people and I remember that sort of put me back in my box a little bit and stopped me from being able to really express that um, you know I I had I felt a tremendous loss because I had only really just started bonding with the pregnancy if mm-hmm. you see what I mean
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, I, and I do think a pregnancy is nine months for a reason I think mother nature is incredible and pregnancy takes nine months not just to grow the baby but to grow the mother yeah and i think during that time there's a lot of there's a lot of bonding and understanding and appreciating of what's happening with your baby and with your own body and um particularly in those final final weeks and i think when when that's been interrupted um there there is there is a feeling that that is a that that's been a huge loss mm-hmm. and it was it was the interruption of that that i I found really really startling and so I I put that to one side because I felt terrible that I might have been offending somebody who'd actually lost a baby I, I, you know it was awful and then many years later um spoke to another mum who who said exactly the same and I remember just feeling so relieved yeah that it hadn't just been me and that maybe it wasn't as offensive as as i've been told it was it was it was a loss for me um, and that's that's all that mattered in that mm-hmm. moment Every, absolutely you know, and everybody's story is is different and um you know one of the other you know uniting parts of this is that anybody going through that journey it's the unknown so no matter what gestation your baby's been born or whether it's full term or whether it's a 23 week or nobody knows what journey they're on nobody knows the outcome and that's that fear mm. that actually everybody has regardless of the story regardless of whether it's a three-day stay or a three-month stay in a neonatal unit Um, it's only with hindsight you can look back and say i was in i was in for this long and this happened mm-hmm. it's only once you're through it that you know the answer when you're in it you don't know the answers and that is that's what causes huge fear Absolutely. Um, so yeah. it's again uh, yeah I think it's just just trying to recognize what the the normal and very common factors are that that unite all these people to you know always you know help you recognize that in others and in yourself
0: mm-hmm. and how long was Callum in in the neonatal unit for? He was in for two months. Two months. And what
1: was yeah, it for bringing yeah. him home? Um, oh it was uh wonderful, wonderful. I mean he he came home. Uh, he was just just over four pounds, I think. And uh we thought this is this is it um this is amazing. He's coming home. So we brought him home. Um so he's still and, so
0: he's what 37 weeks?
1: Yeah, uh, yes, he would yeah. have been 30, 37 weeks and um uh yeah still you know felt long before his due date yeah. and still a very small baby yeah um but actually that's again that's just that's just the next hurdle it's it's the next uh the next struggle Um so here's your baby it's no longer attached to these machines that yeah. give you all the answers it's no longer you no longer can double check something with a professional yeah and um and it's actually it's it's very challenging and you know, he was my first baby, so I don't know how I would have felt if I brought him home straight from the hospital mm-hmm. after a um after a birth at 40 weeks, and he was healthy and well. And um, I might still have been completely overwhelmed. But um, the what's interesting is it's you've never had your baby in a quiet environment, so you've never actually heard the sounds that they make, and I'm sure it's the same for any new mum. Um, but hearing him breathing at night and the noises he was making and um, him obviously what sounded like he was struggling to breathe and uh, that just reignites all of your fears because you've spent the last two months willing him to to breathe and to learn to breathe by himself you know you've watched you literally watched him learn to do that and so it's it's a it's a huge responsibility but mind you that's what motherhood is isn't it a huge responsibility Um, but they, they, they really come finally, finally into focus on th- that first first few days when he's when he's at home and you're juggling the feeding, the um the medication, mm-hmm. uh, the sleeping, um, the 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 checkups, the um you're also trying to monitor the um you're still in a sense of isolation because you have to be so careful of not allowing any bugs or viruses into yeah. the house. And of course, that was long before COVID, you know, the yeah. families who are dealing with all of these issues now, yeah. um, it must it must be going through a, a really, really difficult time. But at the same time, you know, the the isolation, the self-isolation as a family, that wasn't new to us when it started with COVID last year and won't be new to any neonatal family who have um, had a baby on the unit mm. um, where, you you know, you might not be able to visit them if you get a cough or a cold, you can't mm-hmm. go in. And equally, you know, when, when you bring them home, it, it's not a case of the baby being handed around the family. And you actually still have to protect them quite carefully from um, virus as well. That while they're still, you know, you're, you still have a very vulnerable, very fragile child. Um, and, you know, trying to keep up with all, all of that is, is, is another added challenge. Um, but perhaps not so different from any first time mum
0: yeah well no I think <laughs> in a way in yeah so <laughs> yeah I wouldn't um make those feelings any smaller than because I think yeah that's a lot when um what well, for so Callum now um he's uh, a six-year-old um little boy how yeah. is his um has his life been affected by his time in NICU I mean always I, oh, by his prematurity should I say
1: yeah very early on I I said you know this is going to be my story and i don't think this will ever be his story and it will be what mummy harps on about (laughs) and thankfully um thankfully that has has largely borne itself out um the the first few years with a with a premature baby are, are very tricky he um really spent the first two or three years as a as a sick child and lots of hospitalizations and and breathing issues um but um you know they always say they'll grow out of it and and keep keep you know they always talk about development and a and a delay and um, and eventually you do you do get there and when Callum started school uh, last year the year before I can't remember now um, it it was a real milestone moment to watch your child walk in but um, because we didn't ever we didn't ever imagine he'd be going to a mainstream school we didn't ever imagine that he would be. Um, as well as he was and there he was you know absolutely holding his own um there are you, you know there are lots of long-term impacts and consequences of premature birth and um, and they, they're they're you know very very varied um, and I actually um, had a job working with um, NICE the National Institute of Healthcare Excellence um, preparing guidelines on the development of um babies born premature so the guidelines were published in 2017 and um i look back and i kind of don't really know how i did that actually because they looked into every little aspect of what the prospects were of the development of different and um, different issues yeah with um, children born premature and uh, i remember reading them all thinking that could be us that could be us that could be callum hope that's not callum um and they are they are really really far reaching and um when you get to school um school that's the first time really since their discharge um that they're looked at by another professional mm. and let you know if they, if, they, if you've been through the first two years you are you are discharged if you're physically well so they the first two years of, of a premature baby's life you are monitored and there's physio and and um, looking at speech and gait um, and weight gain and then once you are discharged there's a sort of uh, almost an expectation or a presumption that everything is fine you know your your friends and your family are so kind to say but look at him now he's fine he's fine but as a mum you're you're aware of all of the other things that are still yet to develop and there's there's a bit of a disconnect between that discharge at age two and the next time your child sees a, a professional will be in a school setting age five and of course between two and five is actually where most of their development comes from in terms mm-hmm. of so- social and emotional,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so you're always on high alert. I think, but it, the the level maybe drops as he's got older, and uh, you know now he's absolutely, um, you know, none the wiser. And we're we can our lucky blessings every day. You know, we we are incredibly lucky um, to be able to see him thrive, um, and I also feel. We can talk about all of the difficult experiences. It's, it's a very hard experience to go through. I'm aware that we had, a, you know, in terms of what other people have had, a, an easy run of it. Um, but in amongst all of that, the positives that come from that, you know, you have to just keep reminding yourself. I've seen, I've seen a baby grow, that not many people have that privilege <laughs> of doing. And, I, you know, I, he came out, he had, the baby's come out with flat ears because the cartilage hasn't grown. So his ears were there, but completely flat, nothing in them. And I watched his ears pop out and his ears grow, and I watched him learn to suck. And I watched him, you know, every breath he would take. I, I've watched it go in and out. And even now, I, I watch him sleeping, and I, I cannot believe he knows how to breathe. <laughs> I cannot believe he knows how to breathe by himself. And that's all, you know, a, a throwback from that. And I just, you know, keep reminding myself that these are the the things in life that i i would never have known to appreciate yeah. but for this experience which has been um life changing in in so many ways but there are still so many positives to be taken from it does he
0: know much about his his
1: start in life
0: no no
1: no he doesn't i think he he knows he was in hospital but then his little sister was born in hospital so i don't think he he knows um he knows anything of it at all and um, there's a couple of pictures in the house of I think there's a picture of me holding him for the first time um, and I don't mean holding him to my chest literally I picked him up and I was sort of just holding him while I think the nurse did the um, blanket underneath yeah. it was <laughs> the first time I'd, I'd lifted him and felt his weight and um, there's a picture of that in the house but I don't think he can realize that that's that's him I don't think I don't know if children can really understand that they were ever Baby, I'm not sure, but I think I think he's quite um un, unaware of it, which I um, I'm grateful for.
0: Do you think you'll tell him one day?
1: Yeah, I think I will, but I I'm still really keen that I make it um you know my story and not his. And obviously with with the internet and things, and he will grow up and be able to find out a lot about him and himself mm. and what I've said about it yeah. Um. and I think it's something that he will he will come to himself but I will always make sure that he is aware of of how you know how fortunate we all are to have him and um. and also I think you know there are so many babies and so many families that I've connected with have become aware of whose baby didn't come home mm. and I just feel that he you know stands on their shoulders And also on the on the shoulders of the the medical research and all the babies that have gone before him to actually get to the point that when I when I got my baby in there, there were professionals who had done this so many times before and had learned so much that they were able to say, this is what he needs. And I think that I will definitely I will always make sure that he is aware of that you know that we are all products of what of what has gone before us and we are indebted to the people who've, who've given their lives to research um, t- t- to research all of this and to make sure that they, they, these babies are getting what they what they need mm-hmm.
0: um, amazing you mentioned um his sister so you have Chloe mm-hmm. who's 3 um, i just wanted yes. to um, i'm aware of time but just sort of briefly ask you about um how it was for you being pregnant again um like i'm i'm not to put words in your mouth i'm i'm just imagining it was extremely emotional and frightening time considering yeah
1: um, i think it took us a while to make the decision as to whether or not we um we would take the risk um again but we spoke to some doctors and then felt and then as time went on i i felt you know what i think i think i could handle this and i i could do that again um and i think i was probably I'm probably wrong but I um, <laughs> felt that yeah I I could do this again but we were very fortunate we um, were put in contact with a, a brilliant doctor at our local hospital who just who listened and reassured and really listened to my concerns and mm. um, then obviously because of the, the the risks and because of the strange presentations that I'd had there were lots of things that apparently weren't quite um, the, the normal presentation um they monitored me really, really, really carefully, reassured me throughout. Um, and there were still sort of moments of, oh, it's, is it, isn't it, it? You know, there were um, still sort of spiking of trying to show a bit of preeclampsia, I, I think. But it was all very, very controlled and monitored and all of the data was there so we could chart every, you know, all all of her growth and the placenta and exactly what was happening so um, she was still she was only uh, four pounds four when she was born so she was a small baby um so it's we're, we're still none the wiser as to exactly why i grew you know what was happening with the placenta what, what was that um, for each. she was born at 36 weeks 36 weeks yeah. yeah so she was still um, um so the first six months of her life were um, certainly not without their challenges. Yeah. Um, she was um, a very, again, frail, vulnerable baby, um, and didn't keep very well in those first six months um, due to her small size and various mm-hmm. other issues. But by by six months and when she started weaning, um, she just gained ground and she she was off. But I found it a really uh, a wonderful experience to have another child actually, and it put to rest a lot of the things that had happened before and mm-hmm. um, even even the birth she was laid on me straight away and um, and I think that magnificently changed the the experience of what I'd had bonding with Callum mm-hmm. um, to bonding with a with a baby that you are given in um, straight after birth and that was that was really really incredible so I'm so grateful that I was able to to do that again and have you know have have two children yeah. and very much I think when she came home very much felt a sense of of um the, you know the, the circle having been completed yeah. and that it was there was something there that had been that had been done so I I absolutely can understand why some people may never be able to put themselves through that again. It's a very personal choice. Lots absolutely. of people have asked yeah. me since then about. What helped you make that decision? And I don't, I don't have any answers other than it just one day did come, come to, come upon us that we were, we were probably ready to to try and chat and challenge ourselves and accept what may or may not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it it's something that it it, it has to be that personal um decision. But perhaps side by side with the support, so we were very lucky that we had managed to speak to. Um, speak to a doctor be- beforehand who had who had answered a lot of my queries and then during it had had an amazing doctor who was able to, able and willing to give me the time to listen and I really felt heard and really felt
0: supported it's brilliant and what about now how are Callum and Chloe are they friends oh lockdown has been amazing for them in oh, really? so many
1: ways um I mean they've well, they've they've grown up so much, which is obvious because it's been over a year. But, um, <laughs> they forever. have changed so much, but yeah, but um, they they do play. And so at first, they they weren't really at that age, and it was a lot of squabbling. But now, um, yeah, they're they're absolutely lovely together. I mean, it's not plain sailing, not perfect, and I spend a lot of time pulling my hair out, but. <laughs> um, it's 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 just it's just wonderful yeah it's really nice to see them together amazing
0: um so sarah at the end of the podcast i like to ask um, mm. three questions if i may the first one being if you were to have coffee with any other woman, um alive dead fictional famous um who would it be and why
1: um so i've been thinking about this and you know i think first and foremost i probably have coffee with one of my good friends called carly who i see all the time and i could have coffee with her all the time but if i was going to sit and sit down and have a deep and meaningful i'd have it with her she's got three children I'm um, loads and loads of challenges one of her child ch- children has got a really rare um, brain disease but she's the most amazing mom you've ever seen and um, and i think i would probably just sit and pick her brains but for other people who don't know Carly. <laughs>
0: um, Hi Carly. I, I
1: would I would choose and um, I would choose Kathy Burke, I think. Um uh because I watched her on a programme she did called All Women. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Um I think it's on it's on the channel for um, you know, player. I'll look Not it. Not iPlayer, but the equivalent. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um she sort of explores aspects of womanhood and she there's three of them, I think, and it talks about beauty. Talks about motherhood and talks about relationships, and she is so intelligent and striking in the way that she holds conversations with women of all um, of all um, styles and types and with different viewpoints. and um, And I think she will just she's not challenging at all, but makes you just really reconsider what it is to be a woman in this yeah. world where it's all about image and we're image obsessed and um you know I, I think Kathy Burke she has the the sentiment and uh, approach to life that I would like to have when I grow up. I think she's amazing and um, I would yeah I would like to
0: sit and ask her questions about all of that. I think I'm definitely gonna look that up because I think now being a mother of a of a of a daughter of a girl um it's something I'm extremely aware of and
1: uh absolutely yeah. the responsibility it's huge, to, isn't it? it's to, terrifying actually. to actually yeah a mother of a son or a daughter mm-hmm. i think the responsibility to 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 allow them to grow up with their own freedoms but at the same time expose them to the right things and make them be their own person oh so many challenges yeah and then trying to protect them as well from
0: yeah it's, it's overwhelming yes. at times
1: isn't it it is it is and I, you almost just have to hope that at some point the social media will almost will become more self-policing and and actually perhaps the younger generations will be so much better at it than we have been yeah that actually they'll blow our socks off and they'll actually take control of it that's my
0: hope I like that thinking I'll stay with you okay and since becoming a mum is there anything you found yourself saying that your mum used to say to you um I was
1: thinking about this Do you know I, I I don't know if there is my mum is like uh Mary Poppins uh, she's been <laughs> she's absolutely perfect in every way she really is so um I think if I ever found myself saying something that my mum ever said then I I think I'd be doing quite a good job honestly oh. she's so patient I can't ever remember her becoming exasperated with me I can't ever remember her not having the time every time I asked her a question she was just always there
2: Amazing. whereas I
1: you know I look at my children and they're sort of like mummy 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 and I don't I don't ever remember my mum ever losing her patience so I, I'm you know I'm my goal is to say something that sounds like my mum oh, what's she like as a gramme oh she's um, amazing amazing they're, she's adored and she adores them so um yeah very 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 fortunate we've got um, all all four grandparents and they're just absolutely amazing and devoted to Aww. to our children we're very very lucky amazing
0: and um considering your journey and experience so far is there um one piece of advice or like a mum hack that you could share with us um yeah, i I've, It's so hard, isn't it? Um,
1: I think I've probably got several.
2: You can do First several. Of
1: all, everyone's winging it. <laughs> Nobody knows the answers. So put put down the books and just realise that everybody is bullshitting it and just hoping that they've got the right answer. Nobody knows. No, percent. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the other thing, from from my point of view, having gone through what I went through, I would definitely say try to document
0: everything um do you know what that's my biggest disappointment in myself is that I didn't keep those journals and write down the first words or when the first smile was and because I missed it with my son I thought I can't do it with my daughter because yes. then that's not yes. fair yes and you think you'll never forget
1: these memorable things no, you, I know. It's a, this is a milestone moment this is marked in my heart forever well it turns out sleep deprivation takes everything <laughs> yeah. and um and I think also looking back, I, you know, there's lots of people who say, "Oh, I don't want a picture of um, my my bump. I look awful." Or, um, I think, take the photos, take yes. all the photos, and never delete the bad ones because yeah. in time they become part of that story. And certainly yeah. for for me, I think having felt like I'd had that pregnancy interrupted, I I wish I'd kept more of a document for it because I think it would have helped me come to terms with it. Um, and also you know in neonatal and um, we've got we've got photos that, and they're great but actually I wish I'd taken the photos of the people of the surroundings of, yeah. of just more of everything um because you you do it, it wanes in the memory and and sleep deprivation is a terrible thing um and I think it is something that in time you may want to look back on you you leave that Um, ward and you never think you want to see it again Mm. but actually it's part of your story and I think that would be my final piece of advice embrace embrace it however it comes to you in whatever package motherhood comes just embrace it and don't don't fight don't fight it don't try to get to the point where everything's okay Mm. just accept each day-to-day as it is um because um this this is your motherhood, and don't don't squander the days by hoping for tomorrow to be different, for next week to be different. It is what it is today, and if you can accept that and just turn your face, turn your face to it. Don't run from it. And uh, and I think I think that would set you on a good course for the rest of the rest of what what it all brings. Amazing,
0: and I think as well on the on the photo side of it as well. I know certainly with my son. Is he? He loves to look back and see, you know, look at me pregnant really, with him. He? Oh, he loves it. Yeah, oh. he, we can lose hours of um, photos oh. of, of me pregnant, or photos when he was little, or us holding him when he was little. He he just adores it because it's his story. And it's it's the bit he doesn't remember and doesn't know about. And um so it just sparks all these conversations about what we did that day and um and how he was and the little funny stories about you know trying to get to sleep or whatever it was. But yes. for him, he he I mean, maybe, maybe he's I don't think he's special. I think I think most children would be the same. He just yes. he we yes. as I say, we could lose hours. It's actually my husband always laughs when we when we get on the photos, he's like, No, no, we don't have time for this. <laughs> quick, quick, get off yes. them, get off them. But I think that's it's such a beautiful gift to give them as well to give them that part of their
1: story and uh, and to allow that understanding at, at a young age as well because mm-hmm. it it does open out open up for those conversations that will be about lots of different things isn't it and um, you know and and how they how they came about and I I, I think you know hopefully they it's something that they will experience in some shape or form when they grow up whether it's them, them for themselves or relatives or friends um, so yeah i think that's that's a nice that's a nice way to put it as
0: well nice thank you so sarah thank you so very very much for speaking with us today and um yeah have um oh how can people find you if they would like to look you up
1: oh yeah of course um always get in contact with me um i'm on twitter um i can't remember i think i'm sarah hoy it's a double r a h-o-y and i'm on instagram at sarah.hoy um and i'm just normally sharing family stuff but quite a lot of um stuff about pregnancies and babies and neonatals and things has, um, to do with the work that i do amazing um, so yeah please do get in contact if
0: you've got any questions thank you and i'll pop all the details about bliss in the show notes as well Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to my rambling. No, it was beautiful. Thank you very, very much for coming on. So have a wonderful rest of what we're on Sunday afternoon. So enjoy. I will. And you. And thank you. you. Take Bye-bye. Care. Bye-bye. Bye. A huge thank you to Sarah for sharing her story and being so honest about the many feelings you may go through as a parent to a baby in NICU. Although having a premature or sick baby may feel like the most isolating experience, you are not alone. Please take a look at Bliss Charity, who are working hard to support families practically and emotionally. Also, remember to check out the NICU Mummy on Instagram, who's doing an amazing job at connecting families and building a community for everyone navigating life through the neonatal unit. Have a brilliant week, everyone, and I'll be back again next Thursday.